Hello, Cherokee County. Join me today as we meet Susan Monteleone, a Boston native with a mountain lion spirit and a curious mind. She has lived more lifetimes than the average person. She spent her early life in Miami, Florida until 1985 when she moved to Canton, Georgia. A lover of books, turquoise, and conversation, Susan never fails to make two friends in the line in the grocery store. Join me as we share in some of her experience and world travels. I'm Rachel Reagan, and this is Neighbors and Wanderers. We're mostly just going to talk about ourselves, which is what we do. Anyway. What, yeah, we do that pretty Yeah, because pretty well. it's all about us. <laughs> is it about anybody else besides no. us? When, no. when people realize that it's actually the Susan and Joseph show and everybody else is just a guest on our show, That's right. the better off they're going to be. That's right. Oh, I forgot to ask you about your kitty cat the last time I talked to you. What about her? Just how she's doing. She's doing great. I'm trying to get her to stop clawing the carpet. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a work in progress. I have so Do many. Do you have the scrap? Yeah, you see the alligator up on the uh, door pull there. I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bought something very similar at Ollie's, and she's not. No, no. But you know what I've found with my cat is that she will, will you know, snuff her nose up at something. But I have to move things around. It might just be where it is, like that tower there. Mm-hmm. I had it over there where the chair is, that little stool. She wouldn't touch it. And then I moved it over there, and it's her um, uh, dancing, what do they call that? The uh, strippers? The pole. The pole? Yeah, oh it's the strippers pole. You should see. It's hysterical. Oh and my every gosh. time she does it, I want to catch her on, you know, and make a video. And the minute I take the phone out, she's like, what What are you doing? Huh? I, I never thought I could put cats and, and strippers stripper pole. in the same it box. It is hysterical because she gets on there and she's like, and this. And <laughs> oh, my <laughs> It's God. hysterical. She's so too funny. People definitely want to hear about our cats. Right. But I think what we ought to talk about is you okay but and me and me our story men tell me all the time or used to when i was (laughs) that i was a cat in a former life that's what they said because i like to be touched and you Mm -hmm. know very affectionate so anyway okay (laughs) how we met yes (laughs) i digress easily um we were we were at books a million didn't know each other obviously we each were at books a million when i used to go in there i would always go to the clearance shelves and pick out hmm, maybe five six however many books that i thought i may have an interest in and um so i would take it to one of the tables in the cafe and read maybe the first chapter or the first 10 pages just you know if it if it made me go to sleep i obviously would put it back so i had to go to the restroom 
And so I just left the books at the table and I came back. And you can tell from there because you saw the look on my face. Where are my books? <laughs> and there was so me being the nosy person that I am, yeah. noticed a tower of books in the cafe at Books a Million in which has led to years and years of worldly conversations and a cherished friendship between two kindred spirits who has generously offered so many countless lessons and morals. And I kind of thought they were abandoned. I thought that at the time and who has always tried to guide me in not only what life has to offer. Did you enjoy all my books? Yes, actually, it was pretty close to that but what life is really all about. And, snarky, in other words. Oh, but that but is... But nice snark. That is the essence of our relationship. <laughs> I like snarky. Snark. <laughs> Ultimately, that was the start of our friendship, and you told me to go tell my friends who I was meeting up with later that day that I was with an older woman. With your older woman. Indeed. And ever since then, it has been nothing but fond memories and great conversations. Right. And that is why we're sitting here now, because I ha have always wanted to record one of our conversations. And with an audio video background, this is my opportunity to do that and tell our story and your story in a very unique way. Well, I told my neighbor, uh, she lives right there, and we a lot of times go over to RCB on Monday nights. They have the Mondays, they have Burger Burger Day, you know, special. And I told her, you know, that I was going to do this podcast. Couldn't figure out what the hell, you know, why, but, you know. <laughs> and she, and then I was telling her about you. And I, I guess I'm just, well, I'm just me. And because she was, she's very straight laced. And she, she said, well, that's kind of strange. I said, "Why? If we have something to, I don't, I don't get it. I've always, all my life, had older, younger, you know, in between. My second husband was eight years younger than I was. So what? My first was five, five years older. It's not like when you're a ten-year-old that you're dating a fifteen-year-old. You're an adult, for God's sakes. And if you have things in common, so what?" Well, my folks even would be kind of curious, and not in a not in a suspicious way, but curious mm -hmm. in a how did you stumble across someone so unique that you just meet up every now and then at Cracker Barrel or just get a cup of coffee with a total stranger? And you, but we're not total strangers not anymore. anymore. No, not anymore. At the time, they were very interested. They're like, Joseph, hmm. how did you? What a stack of did books? She... <laughs> <laughs> Did she flash you? What did she do? <laughs> but, and I think that might be um, just something that people are not so familiar with. Yeah. Just... I mean, the average person, it wouldn't even occur to them. And you're not from here. No. Where are you from? Originally from Boston. Yes, I have my fifth, my five seconds of fame in that I was born on May 29th in Brookline, Massachusetts, as was Jack Kennedy. Just a different year. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, that's my claim to fame. And when did you move down here? I moved from, from Boston to Miami. I had no control over that. I was 
too young to, I kicked and screamed. I was, how old was I? 12, 13, yeah, something like that. And hated, hated it from the moment, first moment I saw it. Um, and then moved up here in 1985. The first opportunity that I had where I said to myself, self, if you're gonna get out of Dodge, you gotta get out of Dodge now. Because I'd been working for a big corporation, they closed down, they made a really great deal with me to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, coordinate the move, and um, they, I got an incredible, you know, closing pay, so I was able to move, you know, because it's not cheap to just up and leave. And it was very difficult. It was very difficult because my son wanted to stay there because he was 13 and that's the way a 13, you know. Mm -hmm. Which is something that it sounds like you two have in common is that you both were displaced sort of at a mm -hmm. young age. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it's not like I left him in a terrible situation. Um, it was terrible in that he and his dad weren't as close as I felt that they needed to be that he needed a better relationship with his dad i was i was the first you know his first love i was the whole world to him um and i don't didn't feel it was healthy for him so i mean when i look at it sometimes i look at it obviously with some regret because he's basically thrown me away um but so, i kind of sacrificed myself for him do you want to talk about that a little bit not really not really okay. no mm -mm. i understand not a, you know maybe some other time but sure. yeah mm -hmm. it's my one regret mm -hmm. and it's you know i don't like to have regrets in life i mean mm -hmm. not that i've done everything what society would consider you know the right thing but what I, is your son's name dan, dan. daniel Daniel. Daniel Michael Monteleone. <laughs> I love your last name. I've always loved it. I do that. too. Yeah. I do too. And for those out there or listening, it in Italian it means mountain lion. <laughs> and when I was a lot younger, um, I had my hair curly. It was down to the middle of my back and it was like a, a lion's mane. And my friends called me Susie Mountain Lion. So um, that was among many nicknames I had. In the 60s, my nickname was Legs. Because I have, I'm five, well, I was 5'3 then, I'm 5'2 now. But I, legs. Ha I have legs that somebody who's 5'7, five, 5'8 five, should have. Go on for days. Yes, I love it. Rewinding a little bit, mm -hmm. her family consistently broke her heart, and she was ultimately left to pick up the pieces. We get the overarching picture, mm -hmm. but you have a very fond memory of your family uh, from growing up. In terms of what they brought to our experiences, in terms of other things, not so good. Okay. There, there was abuse. And... As a little girl, Susan would be afforded experiences by her parents from city to city 
country to country, but her relationship with her parents was always various shades of gray. You got to see the country. The world. The world? The world, Can yeah. You tell me about that. When I was a little, little one, a wee one, we went to Canada and I uh, visited Quebec and Montreal. I remember, it's so funny, little things when I was a little girl, and I'm talking about maybe four, three, four, and I remember sitting on cannons in a park, and these other little children came along, and they kept saying things to me, and I kept saying, what, what? And later on in life, I realized they were speaking French. <laughs> the, the, through the eyes of a kid. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? But mm-hmm. that I realized that years later. Mm-hmm. And then, in, and I think it was either that trip or to Montreal, I'm not sure. Um, we stayed at these cabins. It's beautiful cabins out in these gorgeous evergreens. And, and I remember there was this big concrete well I, I didn't know the word concrete so it was a rock hole in the ground and I had no clue as to what it was same thing years later I realized it was a swimming pool wow <laughs> you know in, Ma- in Massachusetts you don't have you know nowadays you do I'm mm-hmm. sure but back then who had a swimming pool <laughs> you had the pond down the street right yeah. Mm-hmm. So, th- those were, and New York City. My because my grandma lived in New York City, and I remember trying to go to sleep. And we had we lived in Lexington, which is a very small town at the time. It, Main Street was three blocks long. Wow. Yeah, very small town. And um, and I didn't get to visit Lexington last year, yeah. but I did get to visit Boston for a week. Yeah. So I got to see your Boston. Yeah, my Boston. And it'll always be my Boston. I don't care where I live. It's going to be, you know, that's my heart. That's my home. There is one thing I wanted to ask you about. And it's probably one of the more defining moments of, um, of your life as of late. And it was the medical scare from a handful of years ago. Yeah. Back in 2004, the same year I was getting a divorce, I went to get my very first colonoscopy and was punctured. My intestines were perforated. And for those who know anything about that, when there's a hole in your intestines... That's not usually a good thing. It's not a good thing. Yeah. All the, the, would, would what's inside your intestines is basically arsenic. I mean, you can compare it to poison. Mm-hmm. And I was I was almost dead. Matter of fact, I stopped breathing on the surgical table. Uh, you flatlined, right? Yeah, I just stopped breathing. They had me on the ventilator, and oh. I was in the ICU, and I don't even remember that part of it. Um, I do remember waking up in the recovery room, and they had my hands tied to the the, you know, things on the side of the bed that hold, so you don't fall into the rails. Yeah. And, because they don't want you pulling the ventilator out. Mm-hmm. And you can't talk with, without 
you know, with that ventilator in it. And I remember hearing the nurses saying, oh my God, we almost lost her. I can't believe it was just, we, it was so, we were so glad we could bring her back. And I'm thinking, this is a nightmare. They're, they're not talking about me. I'm dreaming. This is just, you know, this is not happening. And then my pain, all the, the medication from the surgery started wearing off. And I remember I couldn't talk. You can't scream. You can't mm -hmm. do anything. So I tapped my nails on the metal bars <laughs> mm -hmm. to get their attention because that pain was unbelievable. I bet. I mean, I was in the hospital for a month, and I was, yeah. So I could go into more detail, but it's not necessary. <laughs> well, and the reason I bring that up is because that's actually one of the things we talked about when we first met. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, no wonder men don't want to get colonoscopies. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to get one. Um, it, it wasn't in an accident? It, you weren't even... I ch it no no I mean when you're when you turn fifty you're supposed to go and get your first one okay yeah I I was under the impression you weren't scheduled originally for that and somehow I went to the gastroenterologist for something else mm -hmm. <laughs> not as invasive of course but he insisted that I because I was late having it it was past my 50th birthday mm -hmm. and because um, I'd worked in medicine I know what you know you look like with your bottom up in the air and mm -hmm. all that stuff and for sure I didn't want to go there I'd worked OBGYN it was you know I don't mind going to the to the gynecologist because mm -hmm. I'm so used to that that's no biggie mm -hmm. but the gastroenterologist ugh <laughs> it's so horrible it's just you feel like you're oh, i don't know it reminds me of that episode of my wife and kids <clears throat> so it ultimately features a man going to get a colonoscopy mm -hmm. and he tells all of these hilarious jokes <laughs> to the doctor and he's like doctor why are you not looking me in the eye it's like, right. I feel like you ought to be buying me dinner right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then yes. he has this dream, and it's this nightmare scenario. Right. Where the doctor comes in, and the lights get dim. A disco ball comes out from the ceiling, and he starts singing, You will never find <laughs> a love <laughs> like this. Yes. <laughs> and he's walking up to him, and he wakes up screaming. Right. Across a crowded room. Sometimes. Exactly. From early on, she never wanted to leave her home in Boston, Massachusetts. She never found a home in Miami, but when she chose to leave, she discovered a home in our small town of Canton. I was intrigued by Joseph's stories, and I was so excited to meet the woman whom he praised so highly. Susan Monteleone did not disappoint in any facet. She made us coffee and she showed off her home. Her home is decorated with baskets and French country design pans and vines wrapped around her doorways. Her love for elegance was showcased in the simple beauty of the paintings of the dancers and the ships on the walls, while the antiques each had a story and a design just as unique as Susan. I was able to explore her library, 
where we discuss the various books from Winston Churchill's biographies to whaling wars and the lack of restrictions. She even loaned me a book about Sea Shepherd and the current whaling wars in the Antarctic. Susan has something in common with every single person. I felt right at home, and I consider Susan a friend. Shall I sing us a lullaby? <laughs> oh, sure. Do you know another language, or do you sing in English? No. I wish I did. No. No? You don't have any? No. No. Could sing uh, the Irish lullaby? Irish. I love the Celtic uh, pra- prayer. When they turned off the TV back in the day when there was... Yeah. They turned it off, and it was... For, what was it? I've got it written somewhere. It's a famous made the road rise uh, up yes to thank you, you. Oh. oh i love that one oh. okay i've sung that one in choirs for i've sung four different arrangements of it and mm. each time it doesn't matter what they do to it it's just gorgeous yeah there's something about singing a sacred song one time at uh at church i sang a song with the choir director just mm-hmm. me and him he played the piano and he sang some lines <clears throat> And I whispered the other lines. <laughs> and yeah. it was so cool. And everybody, when I got down from the stage, everybody was like, wow, that was, because it was so different. Mm-hmm. I always felt inferior about um, my music. I started um, a, a women's a cappella group, and I oh. picked. I picked the women, you know, that I wanted in it, and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and it got to be, of course, a power play. <laughs> of course, what else is women new? Women are catty. Jeez. Mm-hmm. All of them had degrees in music. Um. I don't even read music. My father was a genius musician. Mm-hmm. Um, he tried you know, to teach me and I'd learn and then I'd forget and I just I couldn't be bothered you know any, th- that's the way I am with a lot of things um, with the oh you should you should learn this or I've never been good with shoulds yes <laughs> yeah so mm-hmm. um, it was it, it was funny because I remember saying to, to one of the ladies in the group who she and I were, were closer than I was with the others. And I said, I always feel so self-conscious, you know, because I don't have a degree, I don't read music, blah, blah, blah. And she said, are you kidding me? She said, you can sing any song. You hear it once, you can sing it, and you, you can sing it in any style. I can sing um, Billie Holiday style. Summertime and the living is easy. Fish are jumping and the cotton is high. Oh, your dad is rich and your ma is good looking. So. <laughs> Billie Holiday is one of my favorite singers. That was beautiful. Thank you. And yeah, well, that's you know, my father was a musician in the big in a big band. He was in um, the top uh, 
you know, high society, whatever you call it, big band in New England. Oh, wow. And um, he could have, uh, if he had had, you know, his mental ability to, mm -hmm. he just couldn't, he couldn't handle it. He could have been with Benny Goodman, with the, um, oh, all the, I can't even think of all the names of the top. Tommy Dorsey. Tommy Dorsey and all the, yeah, you know. Count Basie. All Dick of them. Ellington. All of them. He knew all of them. I mean, we oh, had. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah, we had always had people in the house. We didn't even, you know, I didn't even know half of them. But, yeah, all the top people. He was, my father was a genius. He could play saxophone clarinet, piano, drums. He taught himself the flute. Uh, he wrote music. He wrote arrangements. And he conducted the band. He was, he led the band. Wow. Yeah, yeah he was, he was top notch. Mm -hmm. And I always felt badly because he wanted my sister and I to learn an instrument and it was just you know he had the neighbor who was also in the same band he was in um te try to teach us the piano <laughs> we were just headstrong we just didn't feel like you know uh, practicing or anything and then I I famously always pick a really good time to try and do something after I had my son I decided that I needed something else to do besides my son. <laughs> Baby's I, not keeping me busy. What else? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so I took a guitar guitar lessons, and I thought, you idiot. You don't even have time to practice. <laughs> You're such an idiot. Uh, you made it a way yeah. to, you know, put him to sleep when you don't want to sing. Yeah, I guess it was. <laughs> yeah. I used to sing... I would make up songs. I'd sit in the my rocking chair and mm -hmm. and sing them songs. That was nice. But um, it's like somebody told me the other day. Oh, I remember who it was. Yeah, uh, he said your voice is your instrument. It's obvious, you know. He said we were just talking and you did something, you know, some musical thing. I don't even remember what it was. And um, he said you. I can tell you have a really nice voice. That's your instrument. And I danced all my life. And, I, you know, ballroom dancing and Latin oh. dancing, country western, line dancing, you name it. I just love to dance. Dancing is amazing. So what's your favorite It's like ballroom? flying. Yes. <laughs> and if you have a really good partner. Oh my gosh. Did you ever do swing dancing? Yes. I love that. Absolutely. I used to teach, I taught swing and ballroom for a yeah. little bit. And let me tell you, the aerials are the most fun ever. Yeah. I just, well, I did competition country western. Oh, wow. Which was um, basically ballroom, but just country western, you hold your body differently. Yes. And it yeah. might be faster or, you know, just different yeah. music. But it's the same steps. People think mm -hmm. it's a magic, they're magic steps. There are only just so many steps. Yeah, once you right? have a basic form, right. you have two or three different basic yeah. steps. You have a right them. foot and you have a left foot. And it always makes me, cracks me <laughs> up when I see people that are doing, you know, I said, just put your right foot down, then your left foot down, and then your right foot. Walk across the room. 
You can only move your feet yeah. in so many different exactly. directions. Exactly, exactly. It just always used to crack me up. But I used to teach a lot of people to dance. It was fun, you know. But some people have no rhythm. But I would, I would turn the stereo back in the stereo days, <laughs> and put their hands right on it, so they could feel the percussion, because mm-hmm. they're not hearing it, they're not feeling it. Uh, did you have one partner when you danced, or did you cycle through a few? Um, when I was just dancing for fun, mm-hmm. you know, whoever would dance with me. I mean, of course, there were better partners. Oh, yes. There, sometimes um, I would go to certain places, but if I, you know, I'd show up at the, my favorite place, and I usually would go alone. I cannot stand going with some other woman or a gaggle of geese. Oh, my gosh. And they're all, you know, talking and wondering why they're not being asked to dance. I said, let me ask you something. If there were a bunch of guys in a group and you went over to them alone, would you feel comfortable about going and asking one of them to dance? No. They're mm-hmm. just, they're, they have the same inhibitions, and they're just as nervous as we are. Yep. You know, make it easy on them. And so mm-hmm. when I'd go, and especially I, what I really hated was they'd bring their purses in, to da- and they, like, they're going to dance. dance with the purse. Are like, you kidding me? I am not going to hold your purse. I mm-hmm. am going to be dancing. Mm-hmm. And they would think that I was this horrible person. No, I'm not this horrible person. I'm here to dance. And if you brought your purse in thinking that somebody was going to take care of you. Then you are sadly mistaken. Yeah, like, exactly. I told you. Mm-hmm. You know, you find a place for your purse. Either not bring it, put it in the car, whatever. A lot of places nowadays have lockers. Yeah. Which is great. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I just, you know, I just wanted to dance. <laughs> you said, okay, going back to, you said you were in the antique business. Yes. Now, you've kept a lot of things from that time. Like, is there anything that is, this is a beautiful birdcage over in the corner. It's, it's white. A it's fake China. <laughs> Made in China. <laughs> so tell us about some of the pieces you have in here. Well, that piece over there under the quilt. Mm-hmm. See? I found that there was a here in it, you know, a Woodstock, I think it was, yeah. Um, some farmer was having a yard sale, and um, I didn't see anything that I was interested in that he had out in the yard. And he says, "Do you want to see what's in my barn?" <laughs> I said, "Yes, sir." <laughs> Yepperoni. And so I crawled around. I mean, literally, when you're in that business, you wear clothes that you're ready to climb around in. You always uh, carry wipes in your car. Be prepared to get dirty. Okay. And if you want, if you really want the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I spotted that piece. It was way in the corner. I could barely see it. And I, matter of fact, I climbed over another piece and was hanging upside down <laughs> and said, <laughs> I said, what about that yellow piece over down there? 
it was yellow at the time I whitewashed it and he says oh yeah uh, that was a piece that I made as a, a workbench and on the insides of the doors there was the um, oh like you see on uh, the old rocking chairs the, the oh. material Mm -hmm. And he'd put that on the doors to hold his tools, you know, on the inside. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. yeah, and I mean, you look closely, and it's rough. It's rough, but I love that look. And um, as I say, I whitewashed it. And do you want to know what I bought it for? How much? How much? $35. What? Yeah, isn't it cool? Heavy as lead. Oh, my gosh. It is so heavy. I love that piece, and it's so funny because it's all made of scrap wood by a farmer, and I, where I lived before with my second husband, we had this huge, you know, uh, high-ceilinged room, and, and everybody would walk in, and that was the first thing you saw, and they'd say, oh, I want that piece. You, I say, you can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, yeah, yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears went into that. Right. And then the quilt above it, I can't remember where I got it. It's, I just love the colors. Those are my colors, blues and aquas, but it's all hand-stitched. It's not, you know, oh, yeah. the Chinese stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of really old quilts that are inside that, that piece of furniture. Okay. And the doors. Um, there's the old uh, crockery. I don't think mm -hmm. you can see that, but the heavy as lead. You see those, like the bowls and the different sizes, and they always have the number on them, which means the um, quarts. So that's, it says, not quarts, gallons. Five mm -hmm. gallons. Yeah. Oh, wow. So heavy. That with the burled legs is from my England trip. <laughs> you know, there were certain pieces that I've, I sold. I, I sold every piece, except for the few pieces that I kept, I sold every single piece, made enough money to cover the trip, the airlines, the um, shipping charges, the hotels, the, the every single thing, the food, food, whatever. I made a mon enough money to cover that and all my expenses, and I still made some and got to keep a few pieces. I'd say that was a success successful trip. <laughs> it sounds like it. Awesome. Yeah, and it was so fun. And that piece back there that's hanging vertically next to the door, you see mm -hmm. that? Yep. Can you tell what that is? Uh, down below that rectangle, do you see, can you tell what that is? Is it a sheaf of wheat? Yes. Okay. So what do you think that was from? What do they use wheat for? It's like, is that from a bakery or? Could have been a bakery, but from looking at it, I'm thinking it was from a vineyard. I just got the opportunity to go upstairs and see your library. Mm -hmm. It is gorgeous. You have a bunch of books in all varieties. Would you consider the, you said the Winston Churchill books were mm -hmm. your mother's? Yeah. So are those, those are considered vintage then, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, we're getting close to 
close oh, to the hundred mark. Very, yeah. I mm. know. I'm getting close to the hundred mark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what is your favorite type of book? Is it just whatever interests you, or do you have a particular genre? I love history, and as we have spoken before, it could be historical fiction, as long mm-hmm. as it's the his, history is right. Yes, kind of get all then the facts the right. The story's okay. It's just you know because we don't know what people at the actual. Uh, words that people said back when so if somebody builds a story around the history that's fine but mm-hmm. make sh- hopefully the the research has been done properly oh. um, and I, I love uh, English history um, I mean I just love it all it, it, it you know it was, I, I love to learn about the world I love learning about culture and and what did people eat i just got another book on kindle that's about the daily lives of romans in you Mm -hmm. know the roman times about what foods did they eat what did you know how how did the slaves live how did the you know just all kinds of stuff what's not fascinating about that it's all a part of us exactly whatever you know every person that's ever been on this planet is a part of us. I remember a speaker once was saying that it might have been Deepak Chopra, I think it was, <laughs> um, who said, you know, when someone dies, they become the dust. We inhale that dust, and it's a part of us. And on and on and on. Isn't that? That's beautiful. Isn't that a beautiful mm-hmm. way to look at it? And so, I just want to breathe in everything I can possibly breathe in, and and the only the only thing that I get anxious about is that I won't have a chance to read everything that I want to read in my lifetime. There's just I you know, know. <laughs> it's like you got to read faster, read more, read faster. I know. Don't fall asleep. No, wake up. <laughs> Sleep is unnecessary. You have books. Get you coffee. You have books. It's important. <laughs> it's, and that's why I don't I I don't want to waste my time on nonsense Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not a matter of being a snob it's that I just want to fill myself with stuff that I feel is important and what's important to me might not be important to you and that's okay Mm -hmm. people are different that's right that's right there's no barometer on that there's no barometer on anything you know, everybody yeah. is what they are. Is what they is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My mother would be rolling over right then. <laughs> Grammar. Yes. Oh, my mother did the same thing. All right. So is there anything you would like to add that you feel we should know, since we've learned so much about all your interests and hobbies, is there anything else you want to share? Oh, I don't know. I don't I really don't know. There's so many things in the world that I want to know and want to do and I wish I could turn the the clock back and, you know, have more time. Mm-hmm. I'm not on my deathbed yet. <laughs> <laughs> However, I've been so close, I know how precious the time is. Um, Amen to that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I know that I'm a lot livelier than most people my age are 
most people my age is. That's something's wrong with that sentence. <laughs> Leave off the preposition. Yeah. Then most people my age. <laughs> Thank <good>. you. Thank <laughs> you. I'm also a grammar nerd. <laughs> I am too. And sometimes I have to just go back and go. Now wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on. Let me diagram that. Figure out where the mistake was. <laughs> I love. I used to love diagramming sentences. It was a game to me, and people agonized over it. I. What? It's so much fun. Okay, my sisters and I would literally sit there and we would use our arms. We'd all we'd read yeah. the sentences. We'd each be a different word. Yeah. Exactly. Same with algebra. Simple. <laughs> but then geometry. Uh, okay, algebra was not my thing, but geometry I got. Isn't that funny? Mm-hmm. I don't. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been okay. a pleasure. It has been. Thank you for talking with us. It's been wonderful. You are a fascinating person, and thank, thank you for you. sharing everything with us. Thank you. I'd love to share more of my wise wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll be revisiting uh, uh, with you soon. <laughs> I'm sure. Thanks. Appreciate Thanks. it. So my last question before yes. I wrap up, yes. and this is something that I've always been so curious about. Uh-oh. And <laughs> it's been a, I have been thinking about this one particular question. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Out of all the things that you've experienced in life, what has kept you so positive? You're always so positive. I think about that a lot. I thought about it a lot when I was dying. I've thought about it a lot when I spent that two weeks with my sister, when she, with, you know, when I went up to take care of her when she had the pancreatic cancer. And every day she cursed me I'm not going to even repeat it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's... I, I don't know. I, I, I remember the first therapist I ever went to when I told her, you know, the basics of my story. She said, let me just say this. The fact that you are alive, the fact that you are positive, and that you're responsible and ambitious is a flippin' miracle. So I chalk it up to miracle. I don't know. Well, wrapping up, <laughs> Susan, I love you. I love you are my best friend. <laughs> I look up to you. And I cannot thank you enough for sitting down with me and letting me record it for the first time. And you got this on tape. You can't <laughs> deny it. <laughs> Sealed my fate. Right. I got it on record. Wow. Thanks. You got it. You got it. <laughs> Make me cry. Susan embodies resiliency, and I've admired her spark, her snarkiness, and silliness since the day we met. From Panera Bread and Cracker Barrel to supporting me at film festival screenings. We've been cutting up and pouring our hearts out on our sleeves, enjoying piping hot cups of great coffee and eating half-price wings together for six short years. That seems like a lifetime of friendship. We always check in on one another through Facebook Messenger, and she shares more petitions to change the world on her timeline than any activist you'll ever meet. Susan cares a lot and deeply and earnestly about everything. It's who she is. She was left to pick up the pieces of her divorce, 
her health and the chronic pain from the aftermath. A shadow of Grey that she has spent a lifetime turning away from. But when you see her, when you see Susan Monteleone, you see nothing but color. 